I am Giuseppe. Hi, I'm Anthony, and this is For the Love of Sophia, a philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions for future episodes, please follow us on Twitter. Enjoy the ride. talking about perception and reality and we ended up on this note where we suggested or asked whether or not there is ever uh, an experience of a gap between those two things and if that pushes us in one way or another when determining if appearance is reality or if appearance is part of reality or none of reality mm-hmm. and on the question of gaps I was thinking back to color again mm-hmm. So, we know that Locke says color is not really in the object. The object itself, as it is outside of your perception. It's only in the object as a perceived object. Yes. And if you're a scientific-minded person, you would also agree, probably, because you know that different species of animals experience different color sensations yes right and so you know i always show my students um this page that talks about how the dog has two color cones and the human has three so we get more color than the dog and so already maybe the dog would see this as one color but we would see it in another and so we say ah that's just an appearance right um and then the butterfly has something like five color cones and we don't even know because we only know rgb Mm -hmm. red green blue and they have ones we don't know, so the butterfly is experiencing a spectrum that is beyond our conceivability. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, there's this creature called the mantis shrimp. Okay. That has, I'm gonna fudge the number, but I think it's like 17 oh boy. color cones, right? So we only have three. We already see a lot of colors. And we already <laughs> see a lot of color. So whatever the mantis shrimp is seeing is extremely different from what we're seeing and so we would say that you know this object is this particular color and then that's real and then if a mantis shrimp could report its states it it would say well no it's this other color should we assume though that more is always more accurate right I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's, that's that's the thing that always so let's say that I see if I see more color than you see. Mm-hmm. Am I to assume that you are missing colors, or am I to assume they're just two different things, right? That we we have yeah. there's no such thing as colors, so to speak, right? Yeah. So the two different ways of viewing it are: a, if you have less color vision, you're seeing less of reality because there is the potential to see this infinite amount of color, and we know that because other animals have that potential um, actualized. And then the other way of seeing it is to say, oh, well, if you have no color vision or the least amount of color vision, you're actually seeing the world most accurately because the more cones you have, the more fiction you're projecting onto the real world. And actually the world in itself is colorless. So that's just the assumption is that the color, that 
there's no reality. The color is not part of reality, right? Yeah. So in the so, second case, right? So either color does not exist in the world, or color exists to the maximum in the world. Those are the two options, I think. And interesting because the the first option seems to be the one that says that, you know, it's like having a TV which shows you more pixels. I would mm -hmm. say, right? Mm -hmm. There's it's more accurate. It's more. Um, it gives you a better definition of things, like mm -hmm. high definition versus versus low definition, right? Right, right. And in that case, it seems when you have, you know, when you have the the, the, the the newest kind of TV where you can you see things. I remember the first time I saw uh, one of those TVs that I look at those um, at those images in there. I'm like, they seem weird. They seem too real, right? <laughs> you need to get used to it because the movements were more fluent. It's, it seems like. Uh, different, and I'm wondering though, if that is the case. If having more color doesn't mean simply that, right? Doesn't mean simply that we're seeing things in more definition. Mm. But then on the other side, if somebody is hallucinating, right? Mm -hmm. It's seeing something extra, right? Something That's more. True. But we would not think that what this person is seeing is right with more real. accurate, right? So we think that what we see on a typical day mm -hmm. is more accurate to reality than if you're hallucinating or dreaming. And I guess the question is, why is that? Yes, and how can we, again, I think the question is that, and indirectly the question is also still, how can we tell? if there is a gap between our appearance and reality itself. But yes, the, the, the question is, why is it the hallucination? How do we, how do we establish that an hallucination is an hallucination? Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I'm thinking if there's another proof not, for this. Have you, I, I've never experienced anything like this. Have you? A an hallucination? Hallucination. No. Okay. No. Um, same here. Um, I've dreamed a lot, though. I, dreams are another way, <laughs> Pretty right? Pretty crazy dreams. Pretty crazy dreams, right? Um, but in terms of hallucination, I've talked to people uh, that I have hallucinated, and the scary thing is that these things, they say they feel real, right? Mm. Think of the classical example of some a patient hallucinating and is hallucinating, or she's hallucinating that she has spiders all over herself, right? Mm -hmm. um, and this person is trying to brush him off, is screaming that to get him off him, of her, and and so on. So the appearance, the perception of things is there, mm -hmm. and they really feel like they are there. The problem is, how do we make a difference? Why is it holding this microphone not an hallucination? How do I know that? Yeah. How do I, I know mean, that this green thing is not an hallucination? I mean, they're really feeling it. Yeah. Right, so they're having the sensation of the bugs crawling on their skin, and so they're, they're seeing it, they're feeling it, they're hearing, right, the buzzing, and they're thinking about it. So you want to ask, well, how is that not real if mm -hmm. they're experiencing it? And I mean, even dreams, so vivid that you don't know it's a dream. Oh, yeah. Right, you really believe it every time. Oh, yeah. Um, like, I'll have this conversation fairly often where your brain is so dumb that you fall for it every time, you know? You're still oh, 20, yeah. 30, 40, 50 <laughs> years old, and you're still like, oh, this could be real. Yes. Right, like last night I had a dream where, I was going to tell you about this, I was flossing my teeth mm -hmm. to get some stuff out of the, mm -hmm. you know, the gaps because it was really tight. 
but I was taking chunks out of my gums. Oh, boy. Right? And so my gums got really inflamed. Oh, and I was panicking, boy. and, like, my friends were in it, and it was these real people. And for a little bit, I, I thought that this was real. Yeah. And then I woke up, and I'm like, well, thank God that wasn't real. Yeah. But I don't know, right? It's like if we're defining reality as what we experience, as not what we experience... Or as the combination of yeah. what we experience yes. and something outside of it. And, and I was going there because we said before that it seems that we can access reality only through perception and through mm-hmm. this appearance that we, that, we, that we see, right? And if that's the case, once more, then it makes it more difficult, right? Because mm-hmm. this is the only way. Why do I have to doubt some of those experiences? Mm-hmm. What makes me doubt some of those experiences? Um, and with dreams... And with hallucination especially, hallucinations especially, that becomes problematic, I think. Where do we draw the line? Is yeah. it coherence something that comes into place? The fact that those experiences are not coherent with the rest of our experiences? It's, coherence seems like it. Constancy mm-hmm. seems to be another part, right? Where there's the same things happening over a, a period of time. And I think it does come back to that reporting thing that Locke talks about is that mm. we would all mm-hmm. agree that uh, if you're hallucinating because, I don't know, you're on the surgery table or something and you're out, that's not real. Mm. So it, it does seem like we fall back on this quote-unquote majority opinion thing. Mm. And I'm thinking another way of where you might experience a gap between appearance and reality is... So Locke has this proof. He says, you know that things exist outside of you because there are certain sensations that you can't control. Okay. In other words, I look at the sun and it hurts my eyes. I can't stop the hurt my eye is feeling so long as I'm looking at the sun. So because I can't control it, Mm. it seems like it's something external to me because it's exercising this power over me, right? Or if I lay in the sun for five hours without sunscreen, I'm going to get sunburned, hmm. no matter what I think. Hmm. So that seems to point to something outside of me. So the fact that there's some external reality that can impose on you somehow, that there's nothing you can do, but things yes. are going to happen no matter what, gives you the, the kind of a proof that there is something external that exists. Yeah. I wonder, does that includes also your body mm-hmm. there's, I, there's nothing I can do my my heart is going to beat or not beat I have no control over it right oh sure I, so, I think it could probably that it that is that. like the sun or like the sunburn yeah. stuff right yeah and what about mental states though because a panic attack right those things there's no controlling them or being depressed right sure well that seems to at the very least point to a limit Right, so it's like, well, there must be some external brain state mm. that has nothing to do with what I want to perceive mm. that's imposing itself on me. But does it come from outside or from inside then? Mm. Well, I guess it depends on if you, th- if you think it comes from the brain mm. and if you think the brain is outside, right, because it is a perceivable object. Okay, so, the, but you have to, you have to kind of kind of, you know, reduce mental states of any sorts to the brain, right? Right. Mm. If not reduce, then connect. Connect. Yeah. So again, 
they emerge from that. Something like that, yeah. Okay. Well, that's, yeah, that's possible. That's looking at that up. Because I was thinking if we had to admit somehow that some things come from inside, they impulse from inside rather than from outside, mm. then how do I make the difference, right? Right. And I'm not, I'm not thinking think of an example, but I'm, regarding the brain, I'm thinking of a surgeon performing brain surgery. Mm -hmm. And you know they have your head open and they could poke a part of your brain and then, I don't know, maybe ask you a question or something and then your language center shut off or you sound different, you know, oh, or you're yes. thinking weird things and you can't control that. Yeah, there's, the, I think one of the examples that neurosurgeon uses is like giggling, right? Mm. Or, you, or you start, or you get ticklish if I yes. touch that, that specific part of your brain. Yeah, it makes sense, but that will still be external, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it seems like the conventional view seems to be right in the middle, mm. right? That reality isn't just what you perceive, mm. and reality isn't the complete opposite of what you perceive, but that we have this partial access to reality. And I think this points to Kant. So the reality is larger than what we can access, but we can only access yes. a part of it through our senses? Through our senses and through thought. Okay, which way? Well, I'm, I'm thinking, I think many people would say that thought is ultimately dependent on the senses because anything you think is merely things you've received through the senses and now you're like playing with them in imagination in a freeform way but I suppose there'd be some people that said you know no there's something to thought or ideas that you can have that aren't limited to perceptual qualities and I guess this is if you're a kind of innatist mm -hmm. right or an old school rationalist mm -hmm. and Regardless, we know there's some kind of limit, right? Like, your thought is limited by certain structures, your perception is limited by certain structures, and so you can access reality to the extent that reality manifests through those structures you have. So we, those, those senses are kind of, or whatever brain or mental uh, structure, mm -hmm. those are the limits Yes. All our experience. Yes, what we can know. What we can know. But that obviously implies that while we are limited this way, the world, reality, is larger than this. Mm -hmm. There's more to it, right? There's a part of it, there's some parts of it that we cannot access. Like those, all those colors that those creatures can can see, right? They yeah. exist, they're reality. And again, maybe color is not the best example, but assuming the color is in reality, right? Mm -hmm. From this perspective, we can say, well, we carve the world this way, and this is extra, this is the fat, right? This is what we yeah. cannot get. Yeah. I mean, I could see, so I could see someone supporting that position. Mm. I'm thinking, I, though, I could also see a Kantian saying, well, no, I think it's the opposite. I think that whatever lies beyond our world, which he calls the phenomenal world, mm -hmm. right? It's not like it has that stuff and more, mm. it, it has none of that stuff. It's just different. Right. It's and, just something else. Yeah, and so he says, for example, we always perceive things as being in space, and we always think things happening in time, and it's impossible for that to be otherwise, right? Because you can, he says, imagine uh, an object 
like not in a big space. I forget what exactly what he says, but he basically says you can't imagine uh, the absence of space. Mm-hmm. This is what he says: you can imagine space without objects, but you can't imagine object object without space. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so space is like a given of our experience, and the same thing with time, because you can think, but that thought is coming after a previous one. Mm. And before the next one, so sequence or duration is always happening in your thoughts, right? And so he would say that space and time, for example, those are only things that exist in the subject, Mm. in the phenomenal. So it's not like he would say the world in itself has space and time and so much more. He would just say, no, no, the world in itself has no space or time. So it's not that reality is. How can we say a collection of all the perceptions that yeah. all creatures have? Reality is something completely different. Yes, but and it has something in it that there's the potential for us to have these things. Mm. But I think it remains potential because he even says, I think in the last part of the transcendental aesthetic in the first critique that we shouldn't think of the experiential world as a partial. Or distorted version mm-hmm. of the world in itself. It's just separate. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering though, and again, this has always been the most convincing part of of uh, Kant's philosophy, in my opinion. It's one mm-hmm. of those things that you you start thinking like, "Well, this makes sense, right?" Right. Um, but at the same time, I always thought this thing. I always thought this. So, for Locke, for example, and kind of Kant, I think seems to agree to a certain level, right? Um, it takes an approach just slightly different, but I, I again, I think that he would agree with this. He believes that probably this, um, the agreement which we were talking before, right? Mm-hmm. It plays a role, right? There's certain things are real, they're reality for us because we all experience the same way. We all say there is this agreement, right? I wonder if we can make this, and this will tell us, Locke will say, so, uh, this tells us that these things are real, right? Mm-hmm. Shape, form, whatever. Kant would say, yes, this is real, though, but within our yes. phenomenal world, right? Yes. Perfect. Now, can we extend this argument? Let's assume that we have a study, and we study all living creatures in the world, mm-hmm. and we all we figure out that all cre- living creatures in the world perceive the color green. Okay. Aren't we authorized to think that this color green is part of the world the way it is, because there's complete agreement. Mm-hmm. No matter what, we all, there's some they don't perceive blue, some they don't perceive black, some they don't, whatever it is. But, mm-hmm. again, everyone perceives green. Everything perceives yes. green. So it could be. It definitely could be. I'm thinking what the response might be. Um, you could say that it's not a, quote, real feature of the world in itself, but rather it's the most basic structure of consciousness such that all living conscious beings share it regardless of their capacity and so greenness is like something you obtain at the lowest level of consciousness and well that's why all conscious Mm. beings share it it's just this universal transcendental condition that we still put outside of the real world yes something like that well it's weird because he'll say i'm not saying one's real and one's not i'm saying they're both real but they're different kinds of reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, what would you agree to say in saying that the 
phenomenal, mm-hmm. phenomenal one, is what we are being describing as appearance at the end of the day. So I think this is a point of contention if you get into like very down the rabbit hole mm-hmm. Kantian uh, translation and philosophers because I've heard people say that appearance is not synonymous with phenomena. Mm-hmm. Right? Even though it seems like that word from Greek goes back to appearance, he uses them in separate ways. Right? Like one is more minor than the other. Same thing they'll say, well, I don't think the world in itself is the same thing as the noumena, right? These are two mm. different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a colloquial sense, like for mm. our purposes, it seems like that. Okay. It seems like that. Because I was wondering if, in truth, what we're seeing here is that um, if, we, if we take this approach, right? If we take the approach that exists, that there is a reality that exists that's beyond our means of perception, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. It's outside, and it's not accessible by definition, so to speak. And then there is a reality that is instead within the means of our perception. These two things are separate. Mm -hmm. There's a connection to them, but they're separate, right? And then there seems to be possibly another level which mm-hmm. is the appearance of this reality that exists just for us. Yes. So there's three things, right? And the, the relationship between the, let's call it appearance, and our reality, the human reality, mm-hmm. the gap between these two, we call it hallucination, mistakes, mm, optical right. illusions, all those things. And I wonder if there is some sort of a relationship, and I think there is, between similar between our reality and the real reality not the real reality, and this reality that goes beyond us, right? Mm -hmm. If we make mistakes similar to hallucination when we try, and I think that's, you know, the the faculty of reason there, right? Yeah, it could be. Is our faculty of reason, so Kant talks about the fact that we sometimes ask questions Mm -hmm. using our parameters to try to figure out how the world in itself is. Which doesn't make any sense. Which doesn't make any sense. Are this hallucinations, quote-unquote? Ooh, well... It's not hallucinations relative to what we consider to be the real world, but I suppose it 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 may or may not be right because he he gets really strict mm, absolutely um, where he says not only is it is the world in itself different from the phenomenal, but you can't say anything about it and we can't know anything about it, so you can't even say. First of all, there's no causality, mm-hmm. right? Like scientists, many philosophers, we say that causality is a, a fact, a natural feature about the world. Whereas he would say, no, causality is just an objective property of the phenomenal world. Of the way we see things. Yes. Of the human way, so yes. to speak. And he goes even further by saying that existence and non-existence are categories of the phenomenal world meaning you can neither say that the world in itself exists or doesn't exist yeah so that's problematic right it is very (laughs) (laughs) because at the same time he's telling us that it does exist yes and he's saying that it has some kind of causal relation to appearances exactly so there's a little bit of sloppiness on his part I forgive him, but there's a little bit of sloppiness. <laughs> I forgive him too because he, whatever he gave us, is still, we're still talking about it today, right? Yeah, he's like ninety percent genius. 
um again i i think that this this all discussion is important because even even in this from this perspective uh, the, the ability that we need to have uh to make the distinction between appearance and reality that's vital right mm-hmm. that's vital for for literally vital meaning for our life right mm-hmm. if we cannot make this distinction we're in trouble we cannot live yeah. a normal life you yeah. know if we take things to face value all the time we'll get in trouble yeah and i think of you know um but very 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 you know can we say simple example uh if we eat mushrooms right mm-hmm. uh, you know and they're those wild ones that you pick they all appear like mushrooms, mm-hmm. but then some of them, if you eat them, you die. So you need to, even though the the thing seems to be the same, right? Then all of a sudden, you need to go beyond appearance and make sure, analyze yes. them on a level that will give you the reality of the Is this mushroom good to eat? Things like that. Yeah, and I, I think that Kant saves us. Like, he allows us to keep both appearance and reality without going beyond what can be accessed because you have the completely what we would call maybe solipsistic or idealistic position where you say whatever I feel or think that's real right and then you don't want that because Mm -hmm. then hey anything goes and then you have the opposite which says that well we can't know anything about Hmm. the real world because it's completely beyond us and we just have distortions but with Kant it's like no there is a basis, like a base-level reality. And we can establish this base-level reality by examining which conditions of consciousness we all share. So reality becomes intersubjective. Mm-hmm. And that meaning it's not just by one person or another, but it's something shared by all people. And that's where we derive objectivity from, right? So objective changes in meaning. Can we say, would you be comfortable saying that this means that there is a a reality that's specific of our species, so to speak. Maybe. It could be specific to our species. It could be specific to all conscious beings, and it just slightly differs from each level to each level. It could be the case, because I assume that uh, animals also have space and time. Even if they don't have the categories, they still have those forms. Mm. I, I'm not sure, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know enough about that. But I, I think what I was going to say is, so with Kant, we're still allowed to have objectivity, which means we have reality, mm-hmm. which means we could distinguish between mere appearance or mere feeling, which means we could preserve truth too, hmm. because truth then shifts. It means uh, a correspondence or an accurate connection, right, between the statement and that phenomenal you know, intersubjectively shared reality. And so truth stays on the side of the phenomenal, but it stays objective in some sense. So we, because it's shared. Yes. So. And absolutely shared. So reality, can we say that, if we take this approach at least, right, can we say the reality is just the shared characteristics of that's a, a good question. common perception? Yeah, it's like a, a shared set of conditions for the possibility of experience, right? That's what he says. So it's, it's, it's this, it's whatever we share with others, right? Yeah, and with 
all humans, not just the majority. Or, I, I know that I'm probably going to pervert the words in this yes. case, but does that mean that if the species gets wiped out and you alone remain, mm. that there's no more reality? That all in that case becomes mm. just your view. Well, it certainly becomes different. Um, but to the extent that there's still a consciousness, there is still structures of that consciousness. And then there's still something that presents itself in accordance with those structures. So, the sh even though those characteristics or, or possibilities or categories, however we want to call them, right? They're shared, means that we all possess them, though, independently one from another. That's right, yes. So, the share part is not that they're created in this, they exist within this web of relationships amongst themselves. Mm -hmm. Not that. But they exist individually. Or at the very least, I would say not completely that. Because hmm. it seems like if you had just one individual never existing with other people, I mean, for, first of all, that seems impossible. But other than that, how would they be able to even derive these concepts and relations? Like, aren't those the production of some kind of relations? So I wouldn't say it has nothing to do with the shared aspect. But I would say, yes, it's primarily uh, individual consciousnesses that incidentally share these hmm. structures. And maybe that shared aspect produces something we didn't have prior to the sharing. But when it comes down to it, yeah, I would agree with that statement you said. So the, the, the individual has all the characteristics that he needs to access this reality and to create this reality? Yeah, it's, creation is a weird word. I know... Sometimes they prefer, like Husserl people say, no, 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 we don't create reality, we constitute We constitute, exactly. We build it, right? We're building it somehow. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it is strange. But it, that's interesting, and I wonder, though, if, we could, if there is a view, or if there could be a view that says instead, reality is the construction, this constitution, mm -hmm. if you want, which is interesting if you talk about constitution. Constitution is rarely the the project of one man alone but mm -hmm. it is by definition you're building a constitution because there's a group right mm -hmm. and within a group um i wonder if there is a view that can tell us that will go the direction of saying that this phenomenal phenomenal reality that it is that exists the one that Kant talks about can be interpreted as just this group constitution right mm. and that it ceases to exist so it gets modified radically if part of the system that's creating this disappears or gets into a different mode of relation with another one because mm -hmm. that will be interesting because that will give i think that will mean that diversity within a group mm -hmm. gives us a more defined a richer Reality, a reality that's could be. more rich, so to speak. It could be, and I'm I'm wondering if. And it will, sorry, and it will also take the burden from the individual. Mm -hmm. It will be decentralized. This mm -hmm. this reality will be decentralized. It will not be just all in my mm. power, so to speak. Yeah, I think that could be the case. Um, I'm wondering if, you know, there's this response that says, it's not a construction. Or even a constitution, hmm. because that implies that 
there's a before and you have to make it, mm. right? Like construction means there's not something and then you construct it. Whereas I think Kant might say it's always already there. It is a necessary product of consciousness. And so things like space and time, existence, non-existence, let's not even go there. Let's just stick with space and time. Like these things can't be negated by a group. Like they're not affirmed or negated by a group because they're always already there. Because he's, he's trying to do the a priori thing, right? These are yeah, necessary. Yeah, of course, of course. But I wonder, and again, from our purposes, right? LDR, um, beyond the, the scholarly understanding of him. Mm-hmm. I wonder though, my understanding is, but if we get extinct, all of us, mm-hmm. those categories go away as well. Yes. Because they're, cannot, they're not empty, right? Yes. They cannot be empty. They need to be filled with... Yes, with content. Right? Yeah. So if we, if human beings cease to exist, space and t- assuming that no other animal has that, right, they cease to exist as well. Yes. Because they're related to our mode of mm-hmm. the way in which we are, we are attached to the world, right? Mm-hmm. And but if that's true, again, isn't it possible to think of a plural being rather than an individual one, so to speak? What do you mean by that? That you know this this. This modes of perceptions, this mode of, again, we don't want to use the word constructing because I understand what you mean. It kind of implies that all of a sudden we created, we have this will, there's the, this consciousness. Yeah, it's intentional it's, and it could not be the case. Exactly, which is not what it is. We are, uh, I, keep, I keep borrowing things and putting out of context, thrown in the world. <laughs> Uh, and we cannot do otherwise but perceive those things this way, right? Mm-hmm. But I wonder, though, if this being more than being not from an individual perspective, but always within, that we individuate ourselves, mm. always within a community. So mm. the, the principle of individuation does is not, it doesn't happen only biologically and within until I'm born, but if it happens almost, um, I don't want to use the word socialist, I want to say politically, meaning that within a plurality that you become who you are and you exist you are only in a plural mode only when you are within others that could make sense right like you can only know and this reminds me of the discussion in the last episode where we talked about negation mm-hmm. being part of identity because maybe you only know something as a unity in relation to the plurality and so the individuation comes after but I don't know we can continue this Perhaps Uh, another time. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. See you later. All right.